Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm Keith. And we're here to talk to you about uh, one of the fine sponsors of Front Row Knowles, and that is the Dunlap Champions Club. They've been with us for the last couple of years. Uh, many of you may have sampled it for the first time during the spring game. Uh, if so, the news was good. They had the biggest crowd they've ever had in there, and uh, from the stories I heard, things went well. Feedback was uh, off the charts in terms of the uh, – it was a great day to be outside, a great day to be inside, all the food, all the drink, all the uh, t- uh, televisions. You, you couldn't miss the action because of all the glass. I mean, there were a number of people – that spent their first game at Doak Campbell Stadium at the Champions Club during that spring game, and uh, they'll be back, and you need to join them. 644-1830 is how you can get some more information or tickets. Uh, you can buy season tickets. Obviously a great home schedule this year. They've also got three-game packs this year, so you can uh, truly sample it uh, before you make the, the the five-year commitment, I guess, to buy the, buy the season tickets. But it, it's worth checking out. Uh, there's a lot of excitement about Florida State football for obvious reasons, and this is one of them very much so and remember with your champions club seats you get opportunity to be in the club on friday come back on sunday uh, you can make it a weekend visit to the weekend destination you'll enjoy it what he said now here's front row Knowles. broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row Knowles with tom block and keith jones front row Knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Hello, everybody, including you, Mr. Jones. Happy Wednesday to you. Same to you, Mr. Block. How are things in your world? Everything is uh, is good, but it's busy. I thought things were supposed to slow down a little bit in the summertime. I think that as well, but they haven't for me either. July. July is pretty slow. Let's hope so. Big week. Lots sure. of stuff going on. ACC meetings over in Amelia Island. Florida State and Boise State officially announcing something that I thought was officially announced well, a it, couple it, of times. It had been rumored for for a while. Well, it had been more than rumored. It was uh, maybe it was just rumored. No, I'm pretty sure this has already been out there. But anyway, Florida State's going to play Boise State to open the year in Jacksonville next year. Also, uh, this week, the the biggest news in terms of big picture college athletics and sports in general is that the floodgates are now open for legalized sports betting and new jersey and mississippi and a couple of other states are in a uh, a very fast a race a they're race. in a fast foot race to open the doors so let's that bet on who gets there first place their bets <laughs> florida will take a little while uh longer because there's a well we gambling initiative we, on the we, ballot we this can't year. we can't get the pact with the uh, seminole tribe squared away i don't know how we're going to do other betting but that's just my personal opinion leaving the politics out of it which is hard to do because every state now that it's the purview of the states will have to weigh in and decide if they want to move forward with it it does seem to me and i realize this news is 48 hours old we will get to the boise state conversation it seems to be a win-win i realize there's you know you can make an argument about the downside but there's from a revenue side there's a lot of potential there pro or college sport one of the things that we're seeing happen uh, in our society you and i as we've we've gone from graduating college to hopefully retirement at some point sometime in that that time frame we will have seen this shift maybe a couple of generation shift from well it's illegal and therefore we don't want it to well it's illegal and everybody's doing it let's find a way to tax it and, and that's where we're at right now. Even if you don't agree and are staunchly against, fill in the blank, this case conversation is gambling, there's still pressure and momentum to say, well, if they're going to go ahead and do it, people are going to go ahead and do it, let's go ahead and find a way to tax it. And I think you're right. That is the driving force and why the sports leagues will get involved. But then there's other things that play into that such as the argument that it can be better regulated in terms of fixing a game if you're doing it above board instead of overseas via website or whatnot but all right let's save that to, to later in the show the big topic that i've seen a lot of florida state folks kicking around is fsu and boise state so it's easy to say right here on 2018 that florida state should not be playing boise state a group of five team i went back and looked at this when they signed the contract, it was March of 2013. I was going to say it's five years ago. So that was before Florida State won the title with Winston, which was the last year of the BCS. So we knew that the college football playoff was coming. What we didn't know yet is how the committee would evaluate those games. And so people were thinking at that point in time, we need to beef up the schedule. No, we, we need to play games that we believe we can win but are against opponents that are not Division Two or Division Three. 
That's where the thought process. So it started there. So it was the SEC mandate. We're going to play three lower tiered teams, preferably two of them to begin of the year. And one of them, the game before our big rivalry, and that's why the Boise State contract was done. Who was the head coach at the time that that Boise State contract was done? Jimbo. Jimbo didn't like the series from the get-go, though. Randy Spetman was the AD. But, 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 point but being, it, fit, it fit Jimbo's thought process. Here, here's he the just big, didn't like Boise State because they were pretty dang good back then. Here's the bigger point. What I'm what I'm referring to, and we do this on every issue, we look at everything exactly as today. Well, five years ago, we didn't know how the college football playoff committee was going to react to games like this. Turns out that it probably is a death knell if you lose to a group of five opponent in terms of your playoff. Up. That wasn't known five years well, ago. So five years ago, Boise State was pretty good. Well, and they're still over the last 10 years, they're the best group of five team out there. So... If you look at the game on the surface, it is a nothing-to-gain game in terms of the the return game to Boise, more so than the one in Jacksonville. The one in Jacksonville could have been in Tallahassee. It's in Jacksonville. I'm sure there's revenue, additional revenue tied to that for Florida State. It'll still be 95% Florida State fans, and it'll be a recruiting edge or bonus for Florida State, but they'll still have to play a good team. Well, the next year when they go to Boise is when people are going to be scratching their heads more. Well, and and, and and we hate to say this, but don't gloss over the fact that, that it has gotten to the point now where even a game like Boise State and Jacksonville generates more net revenue to Florida State than a home game does. It just does. Well, and the neutral site games... Part of the reason they like them is from a budgeting standpoint. When you play a home-and-home, home, point number one on home-and-homes, nobody wants to play home-and-homes. Nobody of note that FSU fans want to see play is coming to Doe Campbell Stadium. You think I mean, about it, that's why conferences were created, We had so that you would have guaranteed games that would be home-and-home. Home. We had a home-and-home home with Oklahoma a few years ago. Notre Dame and Alabama just signed up for a home-and-home home in 2028 and 2029. But generally speaking, all the, you know, USC is not coming here, Ohio State's not coming here, Michigan's not coming, nor does FSU want to go play at those places. So the home-and-home model is kind of done. But from a budgeting standpoint, when you do a home-and-home, home, you get a boon one year and you get nothing the next. So when you play the, the, the neutral site games, you can put a fixed number in that line item. It makes it easily, easier to schedule. So Florida State has played a lot of these. And, in fact, next year, Jacksonville, the year after that, people may have forgotten this. West Virginia. West Virginia and Atlanta again. So that will be four out of five years for florida state in a, in a neutral site game and that's just kind of the way the thinking goes now on this well and and i think also the 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 thinking as we've talked about now particularly for florida state is if we can rotate games in atlanta and jacksonville and tampa and 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 areas that because our fan base is so far removed from tallahassee we can go to areas where we have legitimate strong fan bases that will buy tickets and these are folks that might not get to a single home game during the year or only one or two i.e they're not season ticket holders and so from that standpoint it's also an outreach and getting them involved get them excited as someone that lives in atlanta that hasn't been to a florida state game in four or five years will go to that west virginia game in 2020 like it and maybe buy season tickets in 2021 couple of points to close this conversation, then we're going to move over to baseball in our next segment. But I still see folks this, – this has been – it's maybe one of the most oft-asked questions I get. Is Florida State really going to play Boise State? And everybody I've talked to said it's going to happen, not just the one in Jacksonville, but the return game. And as that gets closer, especially after you play the one in Jacksonville, which clearly is going to happen. They just announced it officially today. If you were to cancel the, the return game – on top of being disingenuous and not a good partner, you're going to have to pay whatever the buyout is, and I didn't look it up, but plus or minus a million dollars. So you have to decide, do you want to spend a million dollars and then bring somebody else to Tallahassee that you're going to have to pay to come in, another guarantee. So that's another million well, to maybe, buy a Maybe win. a million five, million nine. Look what Alabama's having right, to pay for right. some home games. So again, it's easy to say they should cancel that. Define your price. If that's a $3 million price to to replace that game and oh by the way you just ruined your relations with everybody at boise state or everybody in their conference right right so i think that's going to happen ultimately but I, i was looking at the future schedules florida state opens virginia tech on labor day this year boise state and jacksonville next year west virginia and atlanta in 2020 and notre dame at doe campbell on labor day night in 2021 so that's the next four openers for fsu but what i found interesting is if you look at the future schedules for florida state they have not scheduled 
beyond this Boise State series. You can look at a lot of teams. There's websites that'll do it. Just Google future schedules in NCAA football. And you can, and there are a lot of teams that have lots of opponents on the books for 24, 25, 26, 20. Florida State has nothing beyond 21 or 22, which makes me wonder if they're still sort of surveying the landscape related to the TV contracts where everything's going to change again, potentially, after the 26 season, or maybe it's the 25 season. You also, I think, I think have to balance a little bit. What happens if there's any realignment? What happens if we go to another conference game? That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Florida State is not tying itself into that. They're leaving themselves some flexibility. I, I will add, though, that they do, they are guaranteed Notre Dame on the schedule every three years. So, in effect, you two out of six years, you have one of those slots filled the way the ACC agreement is right now. All right, we'll step aside, come back, we'll revisit that. Here's, a, here's one little tidbit. You'll like this, Keith. The Notre Dame-Alabama contract. Now, this may be in every contract. It may be standard. But I was looking at all the buyouts for it. And you can get out of the contract should conference affiliation change. So, do you think Notre Dame keeps that standard in all their contracts because those games are in 28-29, or are they thinking, maybe we're going to join the ACC and then we're not going to want to play Alabama at that point? I think it's just a smart contractual move on their part. But it leads to, leads to message board fodder, doesn't there it? There you go. And here on Front Row Knowles. We'll step aside, come back, continue. We're just getting cranked up. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Tom and Keith back on Front Row Knowles. We're going to talk college baseball with one of the national experts out there. Aaron Fitt from D1Baseball.com joins us right now. Obviously a big weekend on tap for Florida State as they will salute Mike Martin. And we fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to Aaron. Aaron, thank you so much for a few minutes of your time. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. How are you doing? We are doing excellent. I wanted to have you on to provide some national perspective on Mike Martin. And I know the news of him breaking the record. It was, in some respects, anticlimactic because it was a matter of time he was going to get there. And now it's two weeks in the rearview mirror. But you wrote a really nice piece after he won that first game at Clemson. And you're a college baseball expert. And I feel like at Florida State sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. And there's an awful lot of frustration that he's never won the big one. And yet, when you stop and reflect on winning 40 games every year, which he's going to do again this year, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it, it really is. And I don't, I, honestly, I think any coach in the country would uh, would love to have the kind of career that he's had. I mean, the remarkable consistency. It, it's so hard to do that. I mean, 39 straight years of the 40-plus wins. You know, they've been in a regional every single year. I mean, they've won 50 games something like 20 times. I mean, more than that, I think, 24 times. Uh, it's incredible what they've done. The tail of the tape, it, it, it's astounding. I mean, um, it's so hard to win a regional these days because there's so much parity in our game. Uh, and they've done it, um, you know, in, in the 19 years of the Super Regional era, they've won 16 regionals. I mean, it's just it's kind of mind-blowing what they've done. And, and I know they haven't won at all, but um, you just got to be lucky in the postseason and you got to be hot at the right time. And that hasn't happened for Florida State. And, Maybe it'll happen before he's done, and maybe it won't. But either way, I really don't think uh, it, it should diminish his legacy. I think for Florida State fans, too, Aaron, KJ here, uh, it's a little bit of a Bowden-esque type of thing because we went all those years with Coach Bowden and all the the wins that he had. And because he was in Tallahassee, I don't think the Tallahassee natives, uh, Florida State fans in general, truly appreciated how big a deal that was on a national scale, just like we don't appreciate what Eleven's done, as Tom said, simply because he's here every day. We, we, we know him. Yeah, and, you know, it, you never have to worry about this program having any kind of a dip. And, you know, you roll out of bed and it's 40 wins. You know, it's just every single year. And so I think the fans do get a little bit spoiled, frankly. Um, and, and that's natural, you know. I mean, I'm a Patriots fan. I mean, Patriots are in the playoffs every year. Wake me up in, in January, you know. I mean, the regular season, it's like whatever. You know, let's sleepwalk through this thing. That's kind of how it is for Florida State baseball. Um, and I, I think people need to 
stop and smell the roses and enjoy the journey because um, it's something special that they've got down there. We'll broaden the conversation and, and, and actually focus in more on this year in just a moment. But as we're talking with Aaron Fitt from D1Baseball.com, do you think anybody will stick around long enough to chase this record down? It's hard to it's hard to see anyone breaking it, to be honest with you, because, um, it's, it, you know, for one thing, it's just so competitive now in college baseball. And you look at all the best programs. I mean, everybody has, has years where they're, you know, struggling a little bit. I mean, with the exception of Florida, since Kevin O'Sullivan's been there, I mean, even Vanderbilt's had years. Right now, they're, they're fighting to get into an NCAA tournament. You know, LSU's fighting to get into the NCAA tournament. Um, I mean, granted, a year ago at this time, Florida State was fighting to get into the, the NCAA tournament, but they wound up hosting a regional. You know, they, they got hot, and that's just kind of what they do every year. They, they, they turn it on. Um, but, uh, you know, to do it for 40 straight years, and, and that's the thing, guys, you know, he broke this record in 39 seasons. Augie Garrido, who has five national titles and is widely regarded as probably the best coach in, in the history of our sport when you consider the, the entire magnitude of what he's done. But it took him 47 years to do it. I mean, 47 years to do what he just did in 39. And this is a guy who, you know, it's not like Augie was, was winning at a bad clip here. I mean, it's just, just an insane um, just an insane winning percentage for an insane amount of time. And I just I don't know that anyone will ever break it. From a national perspective, I know we here locally, uh, I, I personally was disappointed that uh, Coach Garrido wasn't on hand and wasn't uh, with us to see Mike uh, break that record, much like when Coach Shevsky broke the, the, the NCAA basketball record. Uh, has that tarnished or taken away anything from the magnitude? I mean, I think we're kind of a little sad that, that Augie's not around to see this. Yeah, it was too bad, of course. You know, it was, it was a neat moment earlier this season. Uh, when Texas went to play LSU, and and Augie uh, uh, went and made that trip, and he was hanging out with Skip Bertman, and it was kind of a great celebration of the legacy of those two men and all that they had accomplished in their programs. And um, it would have been really cool to have seen that happen, you know, with, with Augie and, and and Mike Martin getting together too, because those are two guys that certainly had a lot of respect for each other. And I remember when when Augie passed, um, Eleven had some really kind words about him, and as always, heartfelt words. And you know, that, that's the thing about. Mike Martin, too, guys, is not just about the winning. It's about the fact that he's done it with so much class and dignity for all these years. And, you know, and, and he's just a genuine man. And um, he's, when he talks about, about this sport and, and about the players that he's coached and about the, uh, the other coaches he's competed against for all these years, everything he says is heartfelt. And, and you can just tell, you know, it's just he's the real deal. And, and I know sometimes it's hard for people to, to believe um, if you don't know him personally, but it's just, you know, anyone who does know him personally, you guys know him. I mean, he, he is what he is. He's, you know, what you see is what you get with this guy. There's, there's no errors about him. So, um, that's the other thing, you know, it's not just that he's won so much, just that he's done it, uh, with such class. I, I just think that that's so important. Florida State this year is 37-16. and 16. We're talking about Mike Martin and the wins record. For FSU fans listening not aware, Florida State will have a big tribute for 11 on Saturday prior to the 1 o'clock game against NC State, which is the final regular season game for FSU. So sitting right now, and I think you've got them in, in your guys' poll at uh, 10 or 11, maybe something like that, maybe, maybe just a little bit lower. Uh, Florida State has an RPI nationally of 10, so I guess a top eight seed is not out of the question, but just with, with one series left against NC State in the ACC tournament, what has to play out for Florida State to, to get a top eight national seed? Well, I think if they win this last series, then they really got a shot at this thing. You know, because like you said, it's number 10 in the RPI, um, which is a good place to start. You're right there in striking distance, but also it's 9-9 nine nine against the top 25. That's a lot of top 25 wins. Uh, and then 16 and 10 against the top 50. I mean, so they've got a lot of high-end wins here that really help them out. Um, and, you know, the only thing I guess that you could knock them for would be the fact they're just 14 and 12 in the ACC. But if they win this series, they get to 16 and 13 with a, you know, maybe a top 8 RPI at that point and a couple more high-end victories on the resume. they got a real shot at this thing. I, I kind of feel like whichever team wins this series, because if NC State goes down there and wins that series, they could make a, a pretty good run at a national seed, too. So uh, there's a lot on the line for both of those teams this weekend. And, you know, I mean, there's a couple other things that probably would have to fall into place. I mean, it depends how other teams finish. I mean, maybe you look for somebody like a, like an Ole Miss to stumble. You know, something like that could help them out. But, you know, there's a chance that they, if they take care of business this weekend and win a few games in the ACC tournament, um, they could wind up just squeezing somebody like Ole Miss out anyway. So uh, really – 
you know, they kind of control their own destiny. I think if they finish hot in the last two weeks, I could see them being one of those top eight. But that was going to be my comment, Aaron. I mean, if you look at last year and this year, you could make the argument that Florida State is, is in a better position right now today than they were a year ago today. Yeah, I mean, a year ago today at this point, they had to go to Louisville, and, you know, they were a little bit on shaky ground at that point just to get into a regional. Exactly. You know, and we were, thinking, exactly. we were thinking to ourselves, if they get swept at Louisville, and Louisville was a juggernaut last year, as you recall, uh, if they get swept at Louisville, they might not get in. And instead, they go down there and they sweep Louisville, and then they beat them again in the AC tournament and, and make that deep run and look up, they're hosting a regional. I mean, you know, it just everything changes in the last two weeks. So that just shows you there's a lot left to be decided here. Let me ask you about one of the changes that the committee has made this year, and that is that they're going to seed beyond 1 through 8. They're going to seed 1 through 16. So to be objective here, asking from a Florida State point of view, there's been a lot of years where FSU has been, because of the geographic uh, preference or criteria that the committee has used, FSU has been matched up with Florida, which has been a death sentence as good as, as they've been of late. Do you think now that we're seeding 1 to 16 – Will that be a true one to sixteen, or might the committee fudge a little bit and flip flop some folks so that they still end up with uh, teams that are in general proximity to save a few dollars? You know, we're going to find out, and that's the thing is that we don't know. It's, we've never been through this process before. Um, now it, it sounds like they're supposed to do it just one through sixteen blindly. Don't even look at the matchups. Um, don't you know? Don't look at the geography. Just look at the the equity. You know where these teams deserve to be. But um, will that actually happen in practice? I don't know. I mean, if you've got a bunch of teams, let's say, that just happily matched up with other teams in their own conference, um, will the committee move a team up or down a spot here or there to, to try to avoid those matchups? Um, will they, like you said, try to match up teams you know, that make geographic sense for the sake of saving a few bucks? I mean, we just don't know. And, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this process plays out, to see if it works the way it's supposed to work or not. Uh, but... On, you know, in theory, you would think this is a good thing for Florida State because the fewer matchups with Florida, probably the better off anyone is. Uh, as good as that program has been, and certainly as good as they are this year, my goodness. Aaron, when Florida State came into the uh, ACC in the early '90s, uh, you know the focus was on football and, and basketball. Uh, I think the argument can be made that uh, over the last 20, 25 years, baseball in the ACC has probably gotten better than any other conference relatively and comparatively speaking what what is the national perspective uh, of the ACC when it comes to basketball now uh, with with the number of programs that are that are you know spending time in the top 10 consistently yeah I think it's it's right now pretty clearly the, the number two conference in college baseball you know just behind the SEC which the SEC is just kind of separated itself from everybody else just with the depth of their conference and you know, with the, all the investments they've made in facilities up and down the league and the fan interest that they have, it's just a different level from everybody else. But uh, but I think the ACC is, is number two. You know, I mean, there um, there are years where you've got eight to ten, you know, or even more than that, teams competing for regional spots and uh, in the ACC. And, and, and we could have five hosts this year in the ACC. Um, certainly those, those teams in, in North Carolina, Duke, NC State, and UNC are all having great years. Uh, and Clemson will host, so in Florida State, I mean, looking at five hosts, you know, they may only get six teams in the regionals. Looks like Louisville will be the sixth, but um, you know, you got some contenders there at the top of the league, and, and every year that's the case. I mean, there there's a, a good chunk of, of very solid, consistent programs in this conference, and there's still some teams at the bottom um, that have struggled to gain traction. But even some of those teams, Boston College was in a super regional a couple years ago. Um, you know, Virginia Tech not so long ago hosted a regional. You know, so Notre Dame was in a regional a couple of years ago. So even those teams at the bottom have jumped up from time to time. They just haven't done it as consistently. Uh, but then again, you could say the same thing in the SEC. You know, Tennessee and Georgia hadn't been in the postseason for a long time. So um, it's not maybe that far back from the SEC, uh, but I think it's clearly better than everybody else. Right now, I think they've passed the Pac-12. I think they've passed the Big 12, um, just as far as the depth of the league and the, the teams at the top end. Bringing it back to Mike Martin as we wrap up and thinking about what we were just talking about. I mean, Virginia won a title a couple years ago, and, uh, you know, it hasn't necessarily been smooth sailing for Brian O'Connor. Miami's hot of late, so they're back to 500, but, you know, they missed the tournament. I mean, it's just hard to be as consistent as what Mike Martin has been. Let me ask you this. when, If and when Mike Martin – well, I mean, at some point he's going to hang it up. <laughs> when, when that time comes, should Florida State – 
promote Mike Martin Jr., not based on the fact that he's 11's son, but based on what his track record is as a longtime assistant, or does it need to be a national search? How do you think Florida State should handle that? That's a tough question. I mean, certainly, you know, Mike Martin Jr. has been there a long time and is familiar with the in and out of that program, and you have to imagine he would be one of the leading candidates for that job. And, you know, and maybe he will get it, and I think he would do a fine job um, in that role. But I suspect, I mean, you know, for the sake of due diligence, you probably want to open it up and just see what happens. I mean, for an elite program like that, um, you know, it's, it's, and maybe maybe you get some other high-profile candidates applying, you still hire Mike Martin Jr., and that's fine, but at least you've done your due diligence. I just don't think there's any any drawback uh, to conducting a, a real search, you know. And, and, again, maybe Junior's the guy, but um, what, do you, what do you lose by having a search? Well, and you empower him more if you go through a national search and he ends up being the, the choice of the committee, no question. Aaron, we appreciate a few minutes of your time, and we appreciate what you do for college baseball. It continues to become more visible. It's a lot easier to see the games now, which I'm sure makes your job easier. Uh, you know, in some respects, it's still a niche sport, though, and there's only a handful of guys like you that truly know the ins and outs of it. So we appreciate it and look forward to another fun postseason. All right, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Aaron. That's Aaron Fit from D1Baseball.com. It is a big series on tap, KJ. Florida State, it's hard to fathom. You, you know, th- this team, and we'll get to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, next segment. It doesn't do anything great. We've talked about this. At the same time, I don't feel like they've had, not counting Tyler Holton, who we've known is going to be out since game one, they haven't had all their pitching cards stacked up and ready to go in that you know Cole Sands got hurt right at the time that Carp moved into the weekend rotation we knew for the first half of the season that Carp was going to come off Tuesday and move into the weekend rotation as soon as he does Sands gets hurt so uh, and now some of the younger kids are pitching better so and Florida State always plays better at this time of year when the spring semester's done and they're just focused on baseball it's gonna be a, a big weekend at Hauser well again and I go back to my my question and my point earlier with Aaron you know if you look at a year ago today this 2018 squad is in a better position than the 2017 squad. Right. Uh, and that's one of the great things about baseball. It's getting hot at the right time. You talk about the pitching. Last year at this time, the hitting came around. And you, you've got some guys on that squad that you know can hit the baseball. And, of course, we all know they can draw walks and get base runners. Uh, and you wonder why they've not been able to advance, why the why base running has been poor, and why they've not been able to pick up people off a second or, or third in RBI situations. But that can change quickly and easily if, if, if everything comes together correctly. And we saw that happen last year. Indeed we did. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt is ready to come in out of the pen. He joins us next here in Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on Front Row Knowles, and we fire up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline once more, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How about you? Doing well. I feel like Florida State, maybe it's the ACC, we're starting to be like the NFL. We're just going to create news year-round to keep the cycle going. I mean, just when we think there's nothing left to talk about on the football side, boom, we officially announced that FSU and Boise State are playing in Jacksonville. I feel like the secret was out. I feel like this was already announced. But anyway, it became official today. So what's your thoughts on opening against Boise State next year over in Jacksonville? Yeah, it's funny you said that. I was I was a little confused, too, when, uh, when I was told that it was going to be announced today. Because I was like, wasn't that, uh, did we already know that? But I guess it hadn't been, uh, like you said, officially and ceremoniously announced. Uh, you know, to me, it kind of makes sense. Uh, uh, I assume that there will be some, uh, you know, certainly some incentive for Florida State uh, to move that home game. It's another uh, season opener, technically a neutral site game. I don't know that anybody would say that Jacksonville is a neutral site when Florida State and Boise State are involved, but still a neutral site game, a high profile game, uh, and also you know Jacksonville uh, being uh, having the proximity that it does to Tallahassee and the uh, the amount of uh, Florida State fans over there. Uh, I know you, know you and I have talked about you know looking around. Jacksonville's been wanting to get Florida State there for a long time. hasn't had Florida State football game there since Coach Bowden's last game. Uh, and, and not a regular season game since even longer. So uh, it just kind of made sense, I think, to uh, to get that one on the schedule, give Jacksonville uh, fans a, a chance to see Florida State in their backyard, and then also 
you know, it's not such a, a distance that is prohibitive for fans in Tallahassee either. I was sharing this with Keith, and you'd be aware, but the next several, you know, Florida State's been playing these neutral side games, but this year you got Virginia Tech at home to open the season on Labor Day night. Then you get Boise in Jacksonville. Then you get West Virginia in Atlanta in 2020. And then you get Notre Dame at home on Labor Day night in 2021. So well, technically two of those are home games. They're home games, but they're big marquee games. It's not the, the days of easing into the season appear to be gone. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's kind of just the, the way it is. And, and you know, I think we talked about this before, uh, you know, when we were discussing maybe even going back to the Oklahoma State game or Ole Miss or any of those. It's that uh, the, the marquee programs in college football play in these games. You know, if you're, if you're one of the heavy hitters, you're now playing in a big-time game in the first weekend of the season. Maybe not always, but, but far more often than not. I mean, you, you look at, at Alabama, of course, is the biggest example, but, uh, but plenty of other teams have done it too. And it's sort of like if that's the trend, among all the best programs in the country, you want to be included uh, in that trend, in those high-profile games, those big eyeball games. And, you know, when the the ESPNs and Sports Illustrators of the world put out their list of, you know, these are the must-watch games of of the week one of the college football season, you want to be included. Well, plus, the the way that the committee works, you can lose early in the year and rebound. You can't afford to lose in week 8 or 9 or 10 in a game of this magnitude so you can play it early and if you lose it you still got time to come back that's just kind of the reality of the way things work these days no absolutely right and and you know having four teams that are able to compete for uh the national championship if, if there's one thing you know I, I like it now you know, personally i wouldn't mind seeing uh some more home and homes across the board and obviously this is technically a home and home uh series and florida state will go to boise but in general you know i like the idea of you know Florida State playing Alabama in a home and home, or LSU in a home and home, instead of playing a neutral site game. But um, the uh, the upshot of, of this trend is that we get some really cool matchups, right? Well, and, and as Tom, that, but as yeah. Tom pointed out, because he's now the scheduling guru, because you Not play true. Florida every year, because you play Florida every year, and because you're going to play Notre Dame two out of six years yeah your opportunities to schedule homes and homes are are not the same as some other schools in terms of your spots but but i do think it comes more down you know you put that fixed line item in your budget every year and also there's bigger paydays to go play these neutral site games than than even what you get if you play oklahoma at home and then get nothing the next year when you go to norman or whatever it may be no absolutely right and and you're you're right the 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 way it works these days it's harder to do but it could be done um and but, but you know, all that to say, uh, I think the uh, it's it's a net positive uh, for for Florida State and for certainly for college football fans who want to see good games. Let me tell you who's going to set up a neutral site game for the ages. In light of the news on Monday that we can now bet on sports if the states move forward with it, not in Florida here, it'll be delayed. Las Vegas is going to come to the table and use that new Raiders stadium, and we're going to be playing college football neutral site games. We might play a college football playoff in las vegas at some point imagine i mean i i'm not really being that facetious because now that the the laws have changed the ncaa is going to get totally left behind if you don't embrace this in my opinion yeah it could i man that's a, you're really getting into some interesting stuff there i you know i have no idea how uh, how all that's going to affect um you know what what's what's coming uh, certainly professional sports and college sports are will be two different things i would imagine but yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows for sure. It's kind of kind of feels like you're you're sort of staring out into the wild wild west a little bit, right? New, New Jersey may come into play. Didn't we play a, a, a opening be. game up there in the eighties? We did in the then? Meadowlands. Yeah. In the Meadowlands against Texas A and M. Yeah, that was Winky's first game. So it was in the nineties. Nineties. Yeah, I don't know what. Wait, uh, that, that, uh, the Kansas game was in the Meadowlands too. Oh, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. That was ninety three. Yep. I don't know. I don't know what'll come of it. I just know. Uh, you know, obviously, it's going to be up for debate. To me, you're going to. It's sort of like, to some degree, some colleges are selling alcohol at their football stadiums, and others aren't. The SEC, nobody's doing it. But every year, there's a few more schools that do it because there's revenue involved. So it'll start at the pro levels and the pro teams, especially yeah, obviously in states where it's legal. I mean, you're going to they're going to have betting counters at the stadiums before it's all said and done, I would imagine. Now, on the college side, there's going to be the dynamic of it's an institution of higher education. Do we want to go this route? But the reality is somebody's going to cash in on it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know. Uh, like, I kind of wonder, will, will it go be from the conference level? Uh, will it be from the individual schools? Will the NCAA try to insert some sort of legislation uh, independent of the congressional ruling um, and are they even able to do that 
I really don't know. I mean, I'm really curious to see how it, uh, it turns out, though. Well, that's what the NCAA asked for. They asked to, that there be an exclusion for NCAA sports on this. We'll see where that goes. All right, I'll get us off that subject because it's all just conjecture. I'm going to throw out some stats here, Tim. Uh, all right. And you won't know where I'm going until I get there. J.D. Drew, his career numbers at FSU, 391 average, 69 homers, 257 runs driven in. Okay. Buster Posey, 398 33 homers, 206 runs driven in. Jesse Burrows, 388, 78 homers, and 258 runs driven in. Four times a first-team All-ACC selection. Player of the year again this year in the league, hosting regionals this weekend. The point I'm driving at is she's one of the best athletes Florida State's had, certainly in the sport that's played on the diamond, but really across any sport that they compete in. Oh yeah, no. Um, and I said Jesse. I said Jesse Burrows instead of Jesse Warren, Jesse and I've Warren. done. Yeah. I've done that. I, I was even going to correct you. I, I did that working a broadcast with Jesse Burrows this year. I've had that mental block all year. <laughs> for so, those of our listeners that aren't aware, Jesse Burrows was a pitcher for Florida State. Well, that makes my point even more who, because who has worked games with uh, with Tom on on the network, and therefore that's why he had the Freudian slip. I, but it makes well, my it, at, it makes my point ahead. even more. I'm sorry, Tim, and that is. People don't know who Jesse Warren is, and yet she's one of the best athletes that's come through Florida State. Well, we can have a, a long discussion on Jesse and Jessica, and, and who, who goes by what name, and and, uh, and Jessica Burroughs, who you, uh, you 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 had to slip the tongue there, is one of the best pitchers uh, to ever play here. But no, you're right, and I think it's uh, you know it's good to give uh, Jesse Warren uh, a lot of credit. Um, certainly one of the best athletes on campus, one of the most productive athletes on campus uh, from the time she arrived as a freshman. Uh, I mean, you knew that she was going to be something special, and then for her to follow up on that uh, over the, the last, you know, really four years of her career, uh, maybe some of the best four years that the program has had, uh, certainly one of the most decorated athletes, uh, like you said, um, in terms of conference and national accolades. And, you know, you'd really like to uh, to see that, you know, that, that type of career rewarded with a deep postseason run, which, uh, of course, starts this weekend. Man, I blew, I did that whole buildup and then had the wrong name. I even have it typed out right in front of me and everything. I actually typed something. This That's what happened. That's you. what happens I when you prepare. I prepared. That's what happens. Anyway, they prepare. host regionals this weekend. Uh, fittingly, I think, uh, I, and from what I understand, they were excited about it. Should they advance, they could get a chance at LSU again, who ripped their hearts out last year. So that that could make for an interesting super regional. You know what will be interesting, though? They got they need to get past uh, past Auburn. Uh, first and foremost, so certainly they'll be favored to, but uh, that's an opportunity. This is Auburn's first time going on the road for the postseason, and I think four or five years. Uh, they, of course, uh, had uh, that that classic match with uh, with Florida State. If you remember, uh, out in the Women's College World Series a, a few years ago, really, really good win, lots of drama, and a win for Florida State. Uh, the point being, uh, while Florida State should, you know, I think, expect to win this regional in advance, you're dealing with a program uh, that is used to having success and, and knows how to to, uh, to compete uh, in the postseason. So I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. All right, other sports for Florida State. Uh, the women's golf team, congratulations, third straight year to the championships of the NCAA golf. So they start Friday in Stillwater. Women's First time ta- in school history they've done that. Three times in a row? Yep. Yeah, congratulations to Amy Bond there. And then on the women's tennis side, they beat Florida twice this year, including on their home court in the NCAA to go to the Sweet 16 for just the second time in school history. They play Tulsa tomorrow. So, uh, I mean, Florida State is showing its depth uh, or its comprehensive excellence, if you will, across the board with all the sports just really doing well, especially here in the spring. Yeah, no, and it's been uh, been a really cool couple of weeks. Um you know, for for the spring sports, and really, it's a, a fantastic spring. And, and I'm glad you brought up the uh, the women's tennis program. I mean, beating Florida twice uh, in the same season is uh, is a really really big accomplishment. I mean, that's you talking about you know one of the what it has been one of the premier programs uh, in the country. Uh, Jennifer Hyde, the head coach over there, said the other day, and I, I need to double check this. It's hard to do the research. But she, said that she thought the only schools that have beaten Florida twice in one year are Stanford, Vanderbilt, and Georgia. It doesn't happen very often. That's the defending national champion. Uh, and so to go down and beat them on on their home court uh, to advance to the Sweet 16. I mean, going to the Sweet 16 uh, is a is a great accomplishment in of itself. Um, but to to do it the way that they did it um, is really great too. And then you yeah you have kind of an opportunity here. You know, you play uh, against Tulsa, who had an upset of their own uh, to reach this point. And uh, you know, you have a kind of a prime opportunity to to go somewhere that, that no team in the history of the program has uh, has gone before. So good luck to Jen Hyde and her team and to Amy Bond and her squad. Obviously was disappointed for, for Dwayne and the men's tennis team. We had Coach Holtquist on a couple of times, and they weren't able to get past Alabama, but still a, a, a terrific season there. As we finish up, Tim, I know that you had a chance to talk to some of the Florida State 
draftees, at least Derek Noddy, you have a nice feature on Seminoles.com. Uh, enlighten us a little bit there, and who else have you had a chance to talk to since they've gone to mini camps? Uh, Derek's been the main one. I tell you what, uh, getting hold of some of these guys once they get to other NFL c- uh, c- cities and have uh, different things, uh, different things pull them in different directions. Uh, it's a little bit tougher, but Derek was extremely gracious to, uh, to to chat with me on the phone. He's actually back home in Virginia for uh, for a little while. But you know what I thought was really kind of interesting, and, and I wrote about it. And I didn't necessarily intend to go this route when I set out to do the story. Um, was he he had so many good things to say about uh, Odell Hagens and the uh, and the coaching staff at, at Florida State and. You know, I thought given uh, the events of last week with, uh, you know, shall we say certain coaches and certain coaching staff, you know, playing a little, little, uh, loose with the, uh, the rules on who they coached and who they didn't and, and what draft picks they get to take credit for. I thought it was kind of interesting that, that Derek was so effusive in his praise for, uh, for Eldell Hagans and, you know, said that, uh, you know, the stuff that the NFL coaches are telling him technique wise and, and, and whatever else that they need to do, it's, it's stuff that he's done and stuff that, that, uh, Odell told him. And so, you know, he actually said to you know, me by the time he got there, it was kind of the, the same stuff that he was teaching. Not to say that it's not a, a jump up in, in competition or, or level of play, but just he knows what he's doing. Uh, and so then, that, you know, that got me thinking about uh, all the, the NFL guys that, that Odell has, has coached and since the NFL draft, and, of course, all of them were at Florida State. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and so it kind of dovetails pretty nicely uh, with all the things that, uh, that Derek had to say. Hey, Tim, when you call those former players and they say, Tim, who, you just tell them you're our Seminoles.com insider, okay? <laughs> yeah, you know, you, they probably talk to you at some point. You, uh, you <laughs> let their people know who you are and you'll get right through. You know, you know that guy that's always coming on the show after you? That's me. Yeah. yeah there you- <laughs> hey, sometimes we put you before them. I, and just for that, we're going to have to... We're going to have to move Tim to second in the batting order next week, Keith. Make a note. Make a note. Tim, thank you. You got to guess. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. If you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for all your power tool needs. A couple of locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Online at ctf.nu, or you can call them if you're old school like Keith at 580-1200. Send them a text, maybe. Well, if that's a landline, then maybe that doesn't work. How about write them a letter? Send them a fax. If you need stationary, Keith is your guy. We'll come back with more thoughts on Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We are back on Front Row Knowles. One segment to go. I do need to remind you that the fine folks at Madison Social would love it if you would pay them a visit. They are in College Town. If you've been to Madison Social and you want to diversify, then go across the street. You can check out Township. You can check out Centrale. How was your dinner, by the way, with your bride at Centrale? I'm raising my hand. Teacher, 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 call well, on me. Well, do share. It was awesome. Okay. Uh, Kathleen and Keith had a little date night uh, a week ago Wednesday uh, after the show. Went to Centrale, sat outside. I'm going to say this like an older Tallahassean. Uh, because that was the, really the first week when the students were not in town, so it wasn't as crowded and the parking was easier and all that. And I don't mean to take away from anything that the students bring or don't bring and all the the, the establishments in that area pick up. But it is nice when you can just go and, and be with a lesser number of people. And we sat outside and uh, enjoyed uh, dinner and had a good time to visit. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And very economical, uh, great service, great food, great environment. Uh, it was a good all-round night. You're still such a curmudgeon. I am. I'm is what I'm is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the ACC meetings are taking place in Amelia Island. Uh, if we did this show right, Keith, you and I would be in Amelia Island all week to justify this one-hour show, but that's not the way we roll here. So uh, we are not there. There are boots on the ground. I know War Chance over there. There's some other folks that uh, are over there as well. Willie Taggart talked to the media yesterday. Uh, you know, the coach, it's not just uh, the administrative types, but the coaches are there. Um, and for years and years, remember, this was the, is there going to be an ACC network meeting? We went like four years with that. Uh, that's still part of the conversation. But uh, in, in talking to Taggart, uh, one of the questions was asked about was about paying players. And he basically said, pay, pay, pay. That's all anybody talks about. Nobody talks about graduating anymore. Well, wait a minute. So that makes him a curmudgeon in your value system. 
How so? Well, he wants to talk about graduation. They're not here to graduate. They're here to play football. That's completely different than we just talked about. You talked about it was too crowded for you. You need your own reserve parking space. I mean, the point is, he's right. Without question. Which Power 5 coaches are talking about graduating right now? You know, and again, bringing it back to me being old school and old and all that, you know, I, I came to Florida State to get my degree. There was never any question in my mind whether I was going to play at the next level. Um, and without my scholarship, I might not have been able to attend a four-year institution. I recognize that over the last 40 years, uh, things have changed. More importantly, the money has changed. But the focus was, and by my estimation still should be, for the vast majority of athletes, the ability to get a degree. And Coach Taggart went on and talked about, you know, we spend this time when they're here with us for four or five years, and then we turn them loose, and, and, and we don't do anything for them. And we've not necessarily equipped them, particularly those that don't play at the next level, and even those that only play for a year or two at the next level, we've not equipped them, developed them, to be able to be good husbands and fathers and citizens. And that's where we need to spend some more attention. Getting that degree and working towards that degree is part of that process back to player development and that type of thing. So, you know, I I wholeheartedly agree with Coach Taggart. How we get there, what it may look like, I don't think any of us have a clear picture as of yet. But there are continuing to be conversations out there with ideas and thoughts that um, I think we need to have further conversations on. Well, he mentioned the idea, I guess he was asked about paying players, and he suggested that they don't need it now. They get the cost of attendance they're taking care of. He sided with you in that they're not sending dollars back home side of the debate but they need something afterwards so it should go in a trust fund now that actually was one of the in the ed o'bannon lawsuit somewhere along the way one of the judges when they ruled in o'bannon's favor part of what she deemed was that there should be a trust fund and then that got backed down and ultimately cost of attendance is kind of where we landed that's not exactly how it happened but it got backed out of that that court ruling but what do you think in general about that idea well there's no question that if there are sufficient resources and depending on what side of the equation you come down on Many will say, yeah, there's millions and millions and millions of dollars, and these kids should have an opportunity to have part of that. Well, I agree with Coach Taggart, and I, I would agree whether he would said it or not. If he if he said the opposite, I would disagree with him. They're taken care of while they're here. They've got some pocket money. They're having their tuition and books taken care of. They're having their board room and board taken care of. That's what an 18- to 22-year-old needs while they're developing. They need to spend their time focused in the classroom, focused on the, on, on the court or on the field, and, and growing up as a person. You don't need to give a 20-year-old $25,000 in cash. 92.7% of them will do something stupid with it. Okay, I know. I had three. Kathy had two. We have five. We got nine more behind them. I raised them, and they're dumb when it comes to things like that sometimes. So a trust fund, something after, a benchmark. Uh, I had set up in, in my personal trust when my kids were little that they would get certain amounts of money when they graduated from college. Not when they turn to certain well, age. That's sort of what he's hinting at. And that's, is tie, that, let's tie it to graduation. And that's where I'm going. So there, there's an tie incentive. it to graduation yeah. or tie it towards, you know, completing graduation or working towards graduation, uh, as opposed to just a certain age or a certain matriculation. If that's the right use of that word, and and I and I think that could work. What the administration would tell you is, you know, if we want to give twenty five or fifty thousand dollars to every one of our athletes, there's nearly five hundred athletes at Florida State. Yeah, well, Title IX comes into play. Exactly. No we got, which we is, do it for one, you got to do it for all, and it, which I am a supporter of. When they did the cost of attendance, Monk and I talked over and over again privately, you know, him lamenting and, and the administration lamenting, you know, how much, how expensive it was going to be. But, but Florida State chose to make the cost of living, uh, cost full cost of attendance, available to every one of their scholarship athletes. And I applaud Florida State for that. I'm proud of Florida State for that. Uh, that's what they decided to do. It's it's expensive. If you do the same thing at the next level, it's going to be that much more expensive. I don't know where the threshold is. Don't know where the graph crosses, blah, blah, blah. But it's worth the conversation. Interesting, though, that and that's something that Taggart has preached since he's been here about accountability across the board including in the in the classroom and, and he continues to speak that so that's that's good to hear i'm not sure what else will come out of those meetings the acc network we're now what 15 to 18 months i guess next august august of uh, 2019 something happens you know what's going to help that 
because they're still skeptics. I mean, that ACC network will be on the air. The dollars that, that the ACC schools get in additional revenue will be reported in the tax returns, and people will still be skeptical that there's actually going to be money from the ACC network. But this whole legalized sports betting thing, that doesn't hurt TV ratings, which are dipping across the board. Uh, now, you could make the argument that maybe the, the amount of folks who gamble doesn't change. Maybe it's the same people who are gambling now, and instead of doing it offshore, they can do it you know, uh, at their local grocery store or wherever these betting windows show up. Yeah, but if you're betting on Florida State volleyball, and Florida State volleyball has not been accessible right. video-wise and is now accessible, you're going to go look at it. The, the point is that the statistics show that people who are gambling are more tuned. This is obvious. Uh, you know, the I, I was just reading, the average fan watches like 15 NFL games a year and the average gambler is watching like, 70 because they have money on it so point is uh, an indirect effect i think here is that the tv ratings may start to go back up a little bit we'll see it'll all sort itself out that's all i've got for today keith do you have anything else you want to opine on let's see let's see anything else to look at my on? list I, uh, sincere apologies to jesse warren who and jesse burrows for that matter i worked with jesse burrows this year i called 10 of jesse warren's games. she was hurt for a few but i continue to mess that name up uh she's gonna test you She's a dynamic player. Here's how you redeem yourself. I'm going to give you the opportunity to redeem yourself for the for the name. What Florida State baseball player did Warren play with at a younger age headed towards the World Series? Sherman Douglas. I believe that's correct. You really I mean, that's no how idea, good, but, I, but you're giving but, me credit on the test. But that's how good Warren was. She was yeah, playing she played with, baseball. Like, yeah, she played really, baseball really. with the guys. And uh, then it was, when she got to the age where that wasn't uh, as feasible, she went over to the softball side and has just been spectacular. All right. Apologies all around to you, the listener, and you as well, Keith, for subjecting yourselves to another hour of this. We'll do it again next week. Talk to you then. Bye. Really?